Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style so they stay frostbitten. You're now tuned into CFRE 91.9 FM and on the World Wide Web at CFREradio.com. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to the cool. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, and on my way go. We invading airwaves. Welcome back to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. Thank God it is Thursday, April 23rd, 2015, live on the airwaves of CFRE 91.9 FM and on the World Wide Web at CFREradio.com. It is your man, DM Cool, and welcome to Cool Radio. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! That's right, people. Your ass better call somebody indeed because we are live right now, and we have a lot of content to get to on today's show. On tonight's show, rather, we have some Raptors talk. Yes, some Raptors talk, people. It's not over yet, but we're going to get some expert analysis coming into the studio or rather on phone later on tonight. Also, a new CEO for Title has been announced or rather yet an old one has stepped down. I'll give you more info on that. It's a little confusing, I know. Also, the big breakup between Big Sean and Aria Grande. Who was the cause behind it? What was the cause behind it? We will get into that. And also, Floyd is doing a little too much of this these days. We'll get to that as well. Uh, later on in the show, around the 8.15 mark, we have my man, the Godfather. He is the writer for BallAndRoll.com. One of the, not even just a writer, ladies and gentlemen, but the publisher of BallAndRoll.com. He goes by the name of Gad El Malay. He will be discussing the Raptors with us via phone. But before we get to all that, you already know how I do with uh, today's show or each and every other show, rather. I got some stuff. To let off my chest, if you know what I mean. Uh, Some weekly grievances that I would like to share with you guys. And you guys already know what it is. It's called Let That Itch Breathe. So uh, let's drop that real quick. Let this bitch breathe. Now, there's a lot that's been happening within um, the world of social media throughout the past week. Uh, None more annoying than this uh, lip challenge. Um, So let me give you some insight on that. So Kylie Jenner, you know, one of the infamous members of the Kardashian slash Jenner clan has popularized a fad um, with this whole, you know, luscious lips movement. I mean, Kim did it. Angelina Jolie did it. The list goes on and on and on. Um, With this particular challenge, though, it's taken, you know, plumping up the lips to a whole new level. You know, there was Botox, there was lip collagen, and now there's this. So basically this challenge uh, revolves around mostly young girls who put their lips into a container or a bottle of some sort. So usually from what I've seen, it's mainly been like a shot glass of some sort, and they literally cup their lips into it. And what they do is they also put heat around that shot glass with their lips in it so that the air pressure will will thin out. Therefore, it'll suffocate the lips and possibly, you know, rupture the blood vessels within, within the lips. 
So they take out the shot glass after, I don't know, maybe like a minute or so, and then their lips come out all plumped out and juicy looking and what have you. Now, I've seen the after effects of this, and they don't look cute at all. I mean, at best, your lips do look like they're coming out, but you kind of look like a you kind of look like a platypus at the end of it all. So again, it's not really that cute looking. But I see some nasty looking after effects of it as well. Some people have like some blue around their lips, or some people's lips looks as if they've been bloodshot, and they literally look like meth addicts after it's all said and done. And apparently this is a thing that Chris, or sorry, that um, Kylie Jenner has popularized. And of course her camp said that this is something that she, you know, wanted to do herself. She doesn't want anyone hopping on the bandwagon, so to speak. But let's be honest. The Kardashian slash Jenner clan is a PR stunt that goes off whenever it wants to. They know when to calm down a situation, if it's even possible. But they have the resources to do it nonetheless because they have such a ridiculously large empire that it's not even funny. Um, the thing that you know kind of has me laughing is the fact that you know big lips on other people, let's be real, on minorities, particularly with black people, was once laughed at. But now that someone like Kylie Jenner is doing the whole big lip movement, whatever you want to call it. Now everybody wants to get into it. Um, I'll say this to keep things short. Whatever attributes you have, own it. Don't wait for Teen or People Magazine or Us Weekly to tell you that a physical attribute is popular. Whatever you have, own it. Man, woman, child, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever gift you've been given, whether it be physical, mental, whatever the case may be, you own it. Don't wait for someone else to tell you that it's hot and do not wait for the validation of others. Because what I've been seeing from this lip thing, it looks disgusting. Just the after effects of it alone. And the fact that, you know, uh, what's her name? Chris Jenner, Kylie's mother, is basically saying, hey, yeah, keep on doing what you're doing. You're getting more hits, more followers, more likes. It's sickening. I've been saying this, you know, time and time again, and I'll say it again. Chris Jenner is the modern day George Jackson. Sorry, Joe Jackson. Or is it George Jackson? Either way, Michael Jackson's dad. As a j noise in it. Either way, she is that person. She is a reincarnation. Not the reincarnation because he's not dead, but basically, she is the remix of said person. She pimps out her children like it's going out of style. And there is no one who can even hold a candle to her in that regard. She makes. Some people go so crazy that it, it, would even, it even made her ex-husband want to turn into a woman. But that's a whole other story for a whole other day. But anyways, I thought I'd get that out. Coming up after the commercial break, we will get a hold of the Godfather himself to talk some ball with us, to give us some clarity and some answers as to what's happening with the Raptors. So with that being said, keep a lock. We got some Canadian content to uh, keep you entertained in the meantime. And this track right here, whoo, this one right here is a banger. This one comes from my homegirl, Melanie Durant, off of her new album, Anticipation. This one is called Gone. So keep it locked. This is Cool Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. You're now tuned to CFRE Radio 91.9 FM and on the World Wide Web at CFREradio.com. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. Uh, so, like I said before the commercial break, we will try to get the Godfather in himself, God Elmore, pardon me, <clears throat> into the studio, not into the studio, but to call in later on for uh, tonight's uh, basketball breakdown, as I like to call it. Uh, but before he gets in, you know, let me just start things off 
shall we? Um, so Tuesday night, the Raptors played against the Washington Wizards, and it was not a pretty game, ladies and gentlemen. We started off strong in the first quarter, no doubt. Midway through the second is when we had is when we had issues. Third quarter, we staged a bit of a comeback, got to within two, and we were down by as many as I think about thirteen at that point. But after that timeout, you know, once we got within two points, the wheels just fell off the wagon, and we totally lost all control of that. Well, we didn't even have control of that game. We lost any momentum that we had, you know, going into that comeback. And there was a whole bunch of things that were going on. Uh, we weren't getting to the free throw line enough. Kyle Lowry was in brutal foul trouble, and Bradley Beal and John Wall were just having their way with the defense or the lack thereof. So, pardon me, the question that is on everyone's minds, including myself, is this. Can the Raptors make a comeback in this series? They're down 2-0 in this series. If that wasn't bad enough, they were the home game. They were the home team for the first two games, and they lost both. Now, Mind you, their first game, game one, that was a toss-up. That could have gone either way. We just happened to fall off the wagon once overtime hit, and also we hit a dip during that third quarter. But we were still within it. In this game, there were only a few times where we had a glimmer of a hope or a glimmer of a chance, rather, but it just wasn't working out. Um, It's very hard to tell what's happening with this Toronto Raptors team because of the fact that ever since the All-Star break, they've been in a huge slump, and it's well-documented. February, they're in a slump. March, they're in a slump. April, they kind of got the wheels uh, turning again. And that was mostly due to the fact that they had a very light schedule in terms of who their opponents would be. And majority of their opponents uh, were under 500 teams. So that kind of helped us out in the win column. And it helped us also to gain some momentum going into the playoffs. But it feels as though, at times at least, that that momentum has dissipated and has escaped them. Uh, mainly just due to inconsistencies. I mean, from, you know, the lack of defense to some of the, you know, questionable callings of Dwayne Casey as far as, you know, someone like James Johnson is concerned. But we will get to that in a second, I guarantee, because I got quite a bit to sound off on that in that regard. But nonetheless, let's start off with Kyle Lowry um, as far as his production. Now, Kyle Lowry, he is the unsung hero of this team. He is the leader. Hands down, I don't think anyone's going to argue that. Without Lowry, this team does not go far. He, you know, besides from his play, as far as the intangibles are concerned, he is the heart and soul of the Raptors. He is their hunger. He is their fight. He is the guy that will kick everybody in their ass if they're not putting in the work. And so for me and for, I'm sure, for a lot of other people, to see him not playing the way that he normally plays, it's disheartening. But at the same time, we're also trying to figure out why he's not playing to his fullest potential. And I feel a lot of that has to do with the nagging injuries that have been plaguing him since, I would say, the better portion of the second half of the season. I mean, this guy's had back spasms. This guy, as of recent, has a leg contusion or, sh- or sorry, a shin contusion, rather. But nonetheless, will play. And I respect that about Larry. He's not just going to throw in the towel. Um, and it's very hard for him to find his rhythm because of these injuries. Because normally, Lowry is just a cold-blooded killer. Like, he will drive into the paint despite being the smallest man on the court for the most part. And also, he will drain those long bombs. He's a good 35 to 40% from three-point range, you know, on most nights. So, to see him kind of take a dip, you have to wonder, you know, how bad are his injuries? Not only just the injuries, however, but also 
Washington is getting him into foul trouble like it's going out of style. I've, I can't say I've never seen this before, but I can't remember the last time I've seen someone get into you know, such alarming foul trouble in back-to-back games, playoff games, mind you. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's the refs, it's the refs. And that could have been the case last year against the series in Brooklyn. But this year, you know, there had been a couple of questionable calls. But at the same time, there have been some reckless fouls on Larry's movement, or on Larry's part, rather. I remember during, uh, yes, or sorry, Tuesday's game, rather, where he fouled a player. I can't remember which player he fouled, but then maybe like two minutes later, he tried reaching in for the ball, and he got called for a foul again. And mind you, that's just within like two minutes. And that's not necessarily a smart play to make, especially when you got called for a foul earlier. Like, they want you to get into foul trouble so that you become a non-factor. And I think when he made that foul or committed that foul, that was out of frustration. Like, he was trying to be hungry and aggressive. He was trying to make a play for the ball, and I get that. That's admirable. But you're doing more damage to yourself and to your team because you're playing into Washington's strategy. They want to take you out of the game so that the rest of the team is in disarray because they look at you, Larry, as the focal point. Not trying to get at Larry or anything like that, but mind you, I, I've got to be constructive about this. Um, so there were some questionable calls, but at the same time, there were some fouls that Larry committed that did not need to be made. So I hope... Larry, you know, in game three is a bit more wiser about the choices that he makes as far as that's concerned. But nonetheless, him being out of the lineup virtually has cost the Raptors big time. And speaking about being out of the lineup, uh, James Johnson made his return to the court on game two on Tuesday night. But game one, he was absent. Now, a lot of people are speculating, had he been in game one, would we have a tied series right now? And my answer, well, not answer, but my opinion, rather, is yes. I believe it would have been a tied series right now. Because if you remember back to the offseason last summer, the main focus for picking up or acquiring James Johnson, rather, was to have a lockdown defender to go against bigger bodies at the three spots, such as a Paul Pierce, such as a Joe Johnson, because those guys are the guys who killed us last season in the postseason because guys like DeMar DeRozan and Terrence Ross weren't physical enough to cover those two assignments. So now you do have a guy like James Johnson who has proven to be a defensive specialist for, for this team, arguably the best defender on this team and also arguably the best two-way player on this squad nonetheless. So it bothers me and it also worries me that he did not see an ounce of playing time in the game. And I know Coach Casey said it had to do with matchups and also we have so many wings at our disposal. Who do we take out? I say you put him in and dare I say maybe even start him just so you can throw Paul Pierce off of his game. Because Paul Pierce netted 20 points in that game one victory. I think it would have been a different story had Johnson covered him. And he's one of your key players. I'm not saying he's your X factor or anything. But nonetheless, he is a key cog in the whole puzzle that is the Toronto Raptors. Without him, there's a huge liability on defense to be pointed out on. Now, I do understand that James Johnson, his his greatest strengths can also be his greatest weaknesses as well. He is a defensive workhorse, but at the same time, he does risk a lot of 
plays on the defensive end. Sometimes he'll try to interrupt passing lanes to try to get that quick steal. But when that risk doesn't pan out into a reward, you leave a man open on the wing to shoot a potential jump shot, whether it be for the two or the three. Or overall, you'll just, you'll just leave a man open who can convert a point maybe inside the paint, however. So I feel that Johnson also has to be mindful of that. And be that as it may, I still don't think that was a good enough reason to keep him out of the lineup in game one. Game two, um, I'm not sure if a lot of people were expecting a lot out of Johnson. You know, his first playoff game uh, of the season. First playoff game in I'm not sure how many years. Uh, but nonetheless, I hope people weren't putting too much pressure on him to do, pardon me, to put, you know, a defensive stamp on Pierce. Because, again, he hasn't played in a, in a couple of games. He's still kind of rusty. So, I don't pin the Raptors' loss on Johnson, nor should anyone, uh, whether it be a fan, whether it be a critic, anyone of the sort, because, again, he's rusty. We don't know how much energy he's going to have in him coming into the game after being off for X amount of games nonetheless. Anyways, let's keep it moving. So another thing that has been pestering the Raptors lately, not just with the physical play, but with the verbal play, particularly with Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce is, has been the jabberjaw of the Toronto Raptors. This guy is saying how we don't have the it factor and that how we don't worry them. And I hate to say this, but I think that might be playing in a, fa- uh, uh, sorry, a factor in all of this. I feel as though Paul Pierce's Jedi mind tricks have actually worked to a certain degree on the Raptors. I've, I'm noticing the play of them, and they're not playing with that same vigor that they've played with, you know, I'd say for most of the season. You know, mind you, February and March were, you know, write-offs. But nonetheless, the Raptors have played with more confidence. And I feel as if this whole it factor thing may be getting to them. They'll say in the cameras, you know, we're not worried about what Paul Pierce says. Masai Ujiri infamously says, we don't give an ish about what Paul Pierce says or thinks. But nonetheless, it has to be playing onto them. Not only that, but it almost feels as though Pierce may be right. And I hate to say that as a Raptor fan. I really do. But he is proving people, quote-unquote, right nonetheless by saying that the Raptors don't have the it factor. Um, Not necessarily within game one, but particularly in game two. I mean, losing by a double-digit deficit in a playoff game is never a good thing. Being down by as many as 20 in a playoff game, never a good thing as well. And also having your bench players producing more points than your starters is definitely not a good thing. And that's another point I want to hit on. This is the second game in a row where the bench has produced more points than the starters. And that just goes to show that, you know, it starts with Lowry. I feel like when Lowry's in the rhythm, then that is almost somewhat contagious. Now, kudos to guys like Lou Will. Kudos to guys like Grios Vasquez and Pat Patterson who kept, who kept the team in the game for the most part. But it starts with your starters, no pun intended. It starts with them. They got to get the ball rolling, and it's up to the bench to get the rest of the momentum going and that they can carry it on forward throughout the game. And I feel as though that they didn't do that, the starters didn't keep, do a good job of keeping that momentum going. Now, speaking of which, DeMar DeRozan, um, one aspect or facet of his game that has been taken out of the equation altogether has been his penetration inside the paint. 
that is his bread and butter. It has been ever since his rookie year, and it still continues to this day. That is his main facet of his game. If you take that out of his game, then he's not going to be as productive. Mind you, his mid-range jumper has improved significantly. But if you take that, you know, rolling to the paint out of his game, that's like 10 points off of his stat sheet right there. He is their leader when it comes to the free when it comes to free throw attempts. You take that away from him, I it's a very slim chance that the Raptors are winning that game. Any game, regardless if it's postseason or regular season. They need DeMar to penetrate the basket at all times. And I feel DeMar isn't doing enough of that. Especially when you have someone like Pierce on you, you can beat him off the dribble. This guy's nearing his 40s. Mind you, you still have some strength left, but he can't match your lateral quickness. You're about mid-age. You're about 25 or so. You can beat him off the dribble. No sweat. No questions asked. I think anyone would be ridiculous enough to try and argue against that. So I feel, I feel as though DeRosa should be exploiting that. I will, you know, give the devil his due, however, though. They have been double-teaming him a lot because they know about his capabilities. Um, now, as far as the Wizards are concerned, they have been a pest. I mean, you're talking about uh, John Wall just going off the, the handles with his play. He's a one-man fast break. His jump shot isn't the best, but when he gets it going on an open court or when he puts the ball on the floor, he can go into the hoop with the rest of them. And Bradley Beal, I don't know who pissed in the cereal, but this guy is looking like public enemy number one for the Raptors. Never mind Paul Pierce. This guy has a vendetta against the Raptors. I mean, you saw him in, in um, the the timeout interview or the, the third quarter interview, which whichever portion of the show it was or of the game it was. This man is claiming that the Raptors think that there's some punks, in his words. I'm not sure when any member of the Raptors ever said that. I'm not sure if if that's how he really feels or if he's just saying that in his head to get himself pumped up, but he's taking it to the Raptors, especially to Larry as well. I don't know what words between him and Larry have been exchanged between the past two games, but this guy is going at him like there's nobody's business. I mean, I remember when Larry got fouled out in game one and he gave him like a little cheeky wave goodbye. There's something going on, man. He does not like that guy one bit. Um, Overall, you know, to wrap this up, I'm um, not sure if we'll get Gad in. Hopefully we will. But nonetheless, either way, um, do the Raptors make a comeback in this series? I say it's going to take everything that they have in order to complete that feat. Only 16 teams in NBA history have come down from an 0-2 deficit to win a best-of-seven series. And only seven, of those, seven teams have done so within the last 10 years. The last team to do that was OKC against San Antonio back in 2012. Can the Raptors be the 17th team overall to complete such a feat? I don't know. But if they plan on doing so, then they're going to have to play like it was November 2nd all over again. They're going to have to play Washington like they played them during the regular season. They are going to have to give it everything they got, blood, sweat, and tears in order to win four straight games in this series. And that's all I got to say. So on that note, we're going to go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we got Trip Talk. Three topics in three minutes. But for now, we got some more Canadian content to get to. And this one comes by way of yours truly, featuring my man Goliath Paw. This is called Airwaves, a.k.a. the theme song of the cool radio. Ladies and gentlemen, keep in mind, 
Viewer's discretion will be out May 4th. Keep it locked. This is Cool Radio. It'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You're now tuned into CFRE Radio 91.9 FM. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. You already know what it is, man. Um, just got off finishing some uh, basketball talk. Uh, we're still, you know, a little iffy as whether or not our guest uh, will be calling in, but we'll keep you posted on that. Otherwise, it's all good. I'll hand it. I'll hold it down on the solo tip as I usually do. But nonetheless, uh, this is Trip Talk. The show must go on, ladies and gentlemen. You already know what the deal is. Three topics. Uh, we're going to break them down as best as we can. And, of course, we want your take on it. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at DM underscore cool. Or you can hit the show at cool underscore radio uh, for more insight. Now. Before we get to things, um, I just want to let you people know that as far as the full podcast go on SoundCloud, they are now available via download. So if you want to download it later on and have it for on-the-go purposes, then please feel free by all means. They are at your disposal. I know some people don't want to burn up their data and what have you because they'll be getting charged about 200 bucks from Rogers and everything. So I totally get it. It's all good. You can thank DM later. <laughs> With that being said, let's get to our first story. So there are a couple of girls in Texas who have decided to keep their names, you know, on the hush hush. And they were basically forced to write letters of apology for rap lyrics that they wrote and recorded that have to deal with um racism. Now, what I mean by this, um, they wrote some uh lyrics uh, within their rap song that reportedly attacked black males uh, in particular. So they're discussing, you know, lynching black males and things of that context. Now, they put out a statement, and this is what one of them said, and I quote, at this time in our lives, racism was not the talk of the country, nor had we ever witnessed the true power of social media. Twitter was still fresh, and we had never heard of anyone getting in trouble for posting anything on social media. It was the beginning of the social era. Now, she's referring to when she had released this record. And so this was probably around 2008, 2009, something to that extent. Now, here's my take on this. Um, It's one thing to be young and dumb. But to be young and dumb about racism and about certain themes that went on within racism, particularly with black people in Southern America, I can't use a young and dumb excuse anymore. I mean, I feel as though if you are of any social class within America, within Southern America, I think it's very important and instrumental that you learn about racism within America, whether it be, you know, overt racism, such as lynching and hosing down people or if it's institutionalized racism, but particularly with the physical racism that happened amongst black people within the southern United States, I think it needs to be discussed a whole lot more. Now, I know that's a chapter in America's history that a lot of people want to turn a page over because of how embarrassing it is, and rightfully so, cough, cough, Ben Affleck, but I'm just saying in a particular situation like this, it is important for kids to be educated on this. Nonetheless, no matter what your background, what your ethnic makeup is, because this is something that this has been happening for a long time where a lot of people have said some nasty things, you know, whether they be racial epitaphs and what have you. 
but nonetheless, it needs to be discussed. Because to rap about, you know, lynching a black guy hanging from a tree, I mean, I'm going to read you one of the lyrics, actually, just so you guys have an idea of how bad this was. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to blurt anything out. This is straight from the horse's mouth, and I quote, Niggas, 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 they always look at me. I want to kill them now. I want to hang them from a tree. That is one of the lyrics that was in that disgusting song. I'm not talking about disgusting in a good way either. I'm talking about disgusting as a foul way. So to say something like that and feel no ways about it whatsoever until the backlash comes, I think is disturbing to say the least. Um, And I hope this person didn't go run off to Jesse Jackson or L. Sharpton to beg for an apology and to get acceptance of apology from said person, therefore having the whole black community within America forcing themselves to agree with the apology. I'll bet it wasn't one of those cases because I, for one, wouldn't accept the apology because at the end of the day, it's just ignorant and stupid. I don't see how anyone could not feel remorseful about it, A, and not think that it's not negative in any type of way whatsoever and not think that it's a big deal in any way whatsoever. I'm not sure what kind of pipe she was smoking, but she was on something. So let's leave that alone. That speaks for itself. Uh, next story on today's list. Big Sean has announced that him and former sweetheart Ariana Grande have called it quits. Now, they called it quits um, mainly for a multitude of reasons. And I remember two weeks ago, I, I had Dariel Roy on the show, and we were discussing that, you know, the Beebs was getting all grabby-grabby with uh, Miss Grande at a concert. And then Big Sean called him out via Twitter and said how he shouldn't be putting his hands on this girl. Believe that. We, we all heard uh, or read that famous tweet uh, that is now infamous, rather. Uh, but... Nonetheless, they did put out a joint statement as to why they have decided to call it quits on their union. And I have the quote right here. I'm going to read it for you guys. And I quote, they both deeply care for each other and remain close friends. We kindly ask the media to respect their wish for privacy regarding this personal matter at this time. Now, I get it. You want to put out a joint statement, you know, from one camp to another camp. And I get it. But. Let's not act like one of them or both of them went through a death in the family. It's not that serious. No one got into a horrific accident. Thank goodness. No one is going through a terminal illness again. Thank goodness. It's just a breakup to ask for privacy. I mean, I get it. You know, nobody wants to be dealt with a whole bunch of questions as to why the breakup happened. Um, But they say that they're, their schedules are very conflicting with one another. You know, um, Big Sean's going on tour as well as Ariel Grande. And I get it. It happens. But, you know, one can't help but speculate that the whole incident with Justin Bieber happened two weeks ago, rather. And so the fact that that happened and they're announcing their breakup, the two things incidences are so close in proximity that you can't help but wonder and speculate if that Bieber incident was in fact the case of their breakup so there should be more details in this as they come along but I feel as though even though their schedules may be somewhat of a potential reason as to why they're calling it quits 
I wouldn't be surprised if the whole Bieber incident played a significant role in it as well because celebrities date each other all the time. Their their schedules conflict. I don't see them breaking it up or calling it off. Some of them may have on and off relationships, and I suspect that Grande and Big Sean are going to have the same thing. It's going to be an on and off thing. But let's keep in mind that they're both pretty young. I mean, Big Sean is about 26, 27. Grande, uh, early to mid-20s. I'm not sure how old she is. But they're both young, so they'll be they'll be all right. This is nothing to cry over. Anyways, let's keep it moving with the final topic. Uh, Jay Z's uh, newly bought title has undergone some changes, and there appears to be a new CEO, uh, interim CEO, and he goes by the name of Peter Tonstad. Uh, so he, and I'm reading a quote right now, title's new interim CEO is Peter Tonstad, a former CEO of parent company, Aspiro Group. He has a better understanding of the industry and a clear vision for how the company is looking to change the status quo. He's streaming or he's streamlining resources to ensure talent is maximized to enhance the customer experience. We've eliminated a handful of positions and refocused our company wide talent to address departments that need support and cut redundancies. Titles offices globally will remain and grow. We are already hiring for several new positions now. We're excited about our future and what's in store for fans who want the best listening experience. So they are going through some changes, one being the CEO uh, change, and also a lot of positions have been cut to make room for that, which kind of raises an eyebrow or two. Also, there are a lot of artists who are speaking out against Title, particularly Lily Allen, and she is stating how that company could receive some backlash, mainly because of the fact that it doesn't appear to be catering to its independent artists, more so just the major label artists that are already signed to major labels, and it's just pandering to their needs, so to speak. Now, we haven't heard of any services that will be entitled to independent artists so i feel like she's speculating on something pardon me she's speculating on an issue that hasn't presented itself yet so i don't think it's completely fair to make that an issue as of right now title is still within its infancy stages so i don't think it's really fair to poke shots at it just yet at the end of the day we still have iTunes as our as the biggest media library in the world. We still have Spotify, which is one of the bigger streaming services on the net. We still have songs. Uh, titles still. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say it's relatively new, but it's still you know one of the up and comers in the industry right now. So I don't think it's fair to make judgment, especially when nothing has been you know officially released off of it yet. Like I know uh, what's your name Rihanna is planning to release a single off of it very soon. Everything right now is still in the beta testing stages from what I've seen and from what I've read. So I think we should just wait, give us some time, and then we can make our assessments from there on. That's my opinion. Anyways, it's time for Throwback Thursday. It's time for the Throwback Thursday track of the day. With that being said, it's time to get old school. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't mind, let's get old school real quick. Let's hit that drop. underscore cool or at cool underscore radio and let me know what throwback thursday track you want to hear and this one right here it touches my heart and it touches my soul this song 
was released on an album that was released 20 years ago in this week that we are in. April 19th, to be exact, it came out. And this has been said to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest hip-hop album of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about the masterpiece that is Illmatic, released by Nas. And this track right here is arguably my favorite song on that album. This one is called The World Is Yours. And it most definitely is Cool Cats and Cool Kittens. Make sure you remember that each and every day of your lives as you breathe your air. And when we get back, we have the Wankster of the Week. Keep it locked. This is Cool Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. What's going on, people? It's your boy, Femi Lassen, and man, me. It's your man, Bo Pinto, at Bo Pinto. Jay Hood from the Toronto Argos. You are now tuned in. Cool. Cool. Radio 91.9 FM. It's an amazing interview. I had an amazing experience. I had an amazing time. The best radio show experiences I've had. Ever. Stay tuned for the hottest in news, hip hop, entertainment, and everything. Every Thursday at 8 p.m. Big shout out to DM Cool. Good vibes. Love man. Famous. I love it. Yes, yes. Welcome back to the show, people. You're now tuning to CFRE Radio 91.9 FM. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. It is that moment of the show that you have been waiting for. It is time. To find out who the captain of Coonery is. Who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. So let's drop that real quick. Wankster of the Week goes to none other than Floyd Money Mayweather. Now you're probably asking yourself... Why is this jabroni giving himself the wankster yet again on Cool Radio? He is getting the wankster because of two egregious statements that he made, which we do have, or one of them at least, that we do have on record for you to hear at home right now. He not only stated that he is better than Muhammad Ali, yes, trust me, that's wankster enough as it is, but he also stated that he went through more racism than Muhammad Ali. Ladies and gentlemen, I can't make this stuff up. I had the first clip and the only clip, rather, for you to listen to. Let's listen to it, shall we? Never brainwashed me to believe, to make me believe that Sugar Ray Robinson and Muhammad Ali was better than me. No one could ever brainwash me and tell me that. But one thing I will do, I'm going to res- take my hat off to them. And respect those guys, because those are the guys that paved the, paved the way for me to be where I'm at today. You don't believe that Muhammad Ali is was better than you? How? He only fought in one weight class. Leon Spinks beat him when he had seven fights. They had never put a fighter in there with Floyd Mayweather with seven fights. So you want to tell me that it's cool to lay on the ropes and take punishment, let a man tire himself out from beating you, and then he basically fatigued. You hit him with a few punches, and then he go down and quit. And, and you want to be glorified for that? Absolutely not. Not me. Uh, if I didn't have the audio for you guys at home to listen to, I would doubt that you guys would even believe what I'm trying to tell you all right now. Now, he was not necessarily in an interview, but more so of like a behind the scenes type of feel 
interview with Stephen A. Smith of ESPN's First Take. Uh, and he basically made that statement to them as they're riding around in the car. Now, my thing is this. I'm going to hit on two points, or, or on the two points, rather. Uh, so first, let's talk about you know him thinking he's better than Muhammad Ali. First and foremost, let it, let's get this thing straight. Muhammad Ali is the greatest boxer of all time. He's better than Mike Tyson, better than Alex Lewis, better than Evander Holyfield. He, he beats them all, Okay. First and foremost, let's get that out of the way. One of the things that Floyd criticized uh, Muhammad Ali on was his weight class, how he never changed the weight class. He was a heavyweight boxer. What do you want him to do, go down to welterweight? I mean, everyone stays in their lane, so to speak. I don't see you changing weight classes, so let's scratch that off the bucket list. Next thing, he criticized the people that he went up against. Has this guy not watched footage of Muhammad Ali before? At least a biopic film? This guy went up against Sonny Liston. He went up against George Foreman, who was an animal in the ring in his prime. He's not the happy-go-lucky guy that sells you grills like he is today. No, back then, he was a bad man. And the fact that Ali beat him in a match says a lot. This man defeated Smokin' Joe Frazier in two out of three matches. Joe Frazier, he beat him. Let's take a look at the people that that Floyd Mayweather beat in his in his day. He beat Ricky Hatton, whoop-de-doo. He beat Oscar De La Hoya, who was past his prime at that point. And he beat Sugar Shane Mosley, who, again, was past his prime at that point. He beat Zab Judah, who no one really, you know, paid attention to or was taken seriously. And now he's about to go up against a Manny Pacquiao, who is past his prime as well, too. Had this been 2010, it'd be a different story. But no. Floyd Mayweather has often gained the criticism of going up against guys that he knows he can beat. He has gained the criticism of going against guys who are past their boxing prime as well. The only reason why Floyd Mayweather is talking so much trash is because of the fact that he knows that he can beat certain people he goes up against. Now, don't get me wrong. 47-0 is still 47-0. Like, whether it's against people who are subpar to you or not, it's still impressive, the fact that you're able to win 47, uh, 47 matches and not go untouched. I, I understand that. But nonetheless, to say, to compare your acumen to Ali's acumen is borderline blasphemous at the very least. And you also have to put this into perspective as well. Back in Ali's day, championship matches were 15 rounds in length. Nowadays, it's 12 rounds in length. So that has to be taken into equation as well. Also, Ali was in a different weight class. We're talking heavyweight. The punches are a lot heavier in the heavyweight division. Mayweather's division, not so much. Mayweather's division, you're going to depend more on your footwork and your speed and your agility, which he certainly has and excels at. I will admit that. But nonetheless, to say that you're better than Ali, especially when you when you witness what he had gone through within his career to get to where he was, please. And that leads us to another topic, the racism. Listen, Floyd, you are not liked because of the way you carry yourself. You flaunt your wealth. You make it rain in clubs. You demean people with the amount of money that you make. And you take people's girlfriends. Like, come on. Like, you tried to take T.I.'s girl. No, let's, let's not beat around the bush. She's not one to gawk at. But at the same time, that's still someone's wife. 
You don't try to take someone away from, from their partner. Obviously, people are not going to like you because of certain instances like that. And so that has nothing to do with racism. If anything, people who are racist are going to have even more reason not to like you. And they're going to have even more, quote, unquote, reason to hurl the N-bomb at you. Whereas Ali, this guy was persecuted, first and foremost, because of his name change. He went from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. Secondly, he converted to the nation Islam. Thirdly, he aligned himself with the great Malcolm X. And fourthly, this man was forced. The U.S. government forced him to go and fight the war in Vietnam, a war that he had absolutely nothing to do with and a war that he was absolutely 110% vocal about. But because he, he chose not to, they arrested him and put him in federal prison and it took years off of his boxing career. If that is institutionalized racism in and of itself, I don't know what is. That is racism right there and that is something that you have not gone through. The opportunities that you have been able to be to being presented with is nothing like what Muhammad Ali had, had back in his day. And if it weren't for him, then you wouldn't be in the club making it rain with your stacks of money. So for you to say that you went through more racism than Muhammad Ali, especially when he went through it in the worst ways possible, is beyond blasphemous. It's downright ignorant. And this is coming from a guy who can't even read for God's sakes. You could buy yourself a ton of wealth and knowledge, but you refuse to. Instead, you bathe yourself and allow yourself to depreciate your funds within ignorance. That is why you're getting the wanks of the week. And he's a smart guy as well. He's doing this all to hype himself up for the, sh- for the match that he has with, with Pacquiao in May. And I get it. He's a marketing genius in that regard. But nonetheless, to use Muhammad Ali's great name and to use him as a patsy in your little Ponzi scheme to generate interest for this match, it's appalling. I have, no, I have no other words for it. Do you deserve this wankster? Of course you deserve this wankster. And with that being said, we're about to drop that wankster on you just like this. Stop fronting indeed. And with that being said, people, uh, that leaves us for um, the show tonight. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. As you do on a regular basis, we will try to get in touch with Gad on another on another broadcast, uh, and we'll definitely chop it up with some more ball. And hopefully by then, the Raptors will have you know some wins under their belt within the series. Uh, we have another live broadcast for you next week, as always. So make sure you keep it locked at cfreradio.com from eight till nine p.m. Hit me up on Twitter at dm underscore cool, and also at cool underscore radio. Uh, Follow us on SoundCloud at cool underscore radio and subscribe to us on YouTube at cool underscore radio. Remember, once again, all full audio podcasts are now available via download. Pardon me for download via soundcloud.com. So make sure you get in on that. Once again, it is your man DM. Cool. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.